Welcome to another episode of the Polybites podcast, bringing you bite-sized politics every week. Presented by Voice for Victoria. A very Merry Christmas to those who celebrate it, and a happy public holiday season to those who don't, as we head into the last few days of what has been another nightmare year living in Victoria. Last week, as we headed into Christmas, we saw the government leak to the media they were once again weighing up a mask mandate being introduced indoors. As expected by literally everyone, that's exactly what ended up happening. And as a result, Victorians woke up on Christmas Eve with everyone over the age of eight expected to wear masks again indoors. This was, of course, justified over the new variant panic and considered a safety measure. Anyway, it's gone so well that within a week, Victoria has annihilated all previous recorded daily case numbers and hit over 5,000 cases in a day now. New South Wales took a similar turn with the New South Wales Premier blinking in the face of pressure and also bringing back indoor masks, as well as some density limits for hospitality businesses until January 27th. In the presser, they mentioned the fact that this was due to hospital pressure, which was incorrectly reported in some instances as being about patient numbers, but was later clarified by Dom as the impact of having hundreds and hundreds of healthcare workers forced into isolation. If you were wondering how well their changes went, New South Wales smashed all concepts of records and has since hit a high of over 12,000 new cases in a single day. It's worth noting that for whatever reason, New South Wales still has a remarkably lower number of deaths in comparison to Victoria, and no one has really looked into this much. As part of these rocketing case numbers over the last week, Victoria also saw more than 30,000 people spend Christmas in isolation obviously the vast majority of which are fully vaccinated. On top of this, the isolation requirements took a hammer to the airline industry, with the volume of staff having to isolate, meaning that over 80 domestic flights in Australia were cancelled on Christmas Eve. Needless to say, much of the policy and continued instability in the last few weeks has begun to grate further and further on an already exhausted population. We can see this being reflected now in recent discussions of NatCab deciding on changing the isolation timeline requirements, as well as the definition of close contacts, as the current policy is making it literally impossible for society to effectively function. Speaking of ineffective and dysfunctional, between the testing rules for travelling within Australia and the amount of cases and close contacts, The PCR testing capacity of both Victoria and New South Wales have been absolutely smashed in the last week, with people who are sick waiting days for results, and people who aren't sick but just need the piece of paper to get on a plane being forced to wait days as well, causing havoc on the first attempt at a tourism season this country has seen in almost two years. As a result, there are increasing moves by states to introduce rapid antigen testing as being an acceptable test making us only about six months behind the rest of the world doing this. Again. And with the Victorian government announcing they will be giving them out for free from early next year. In order to get them free, you'll need to attend a testing site of some kind presenting either symptoms or proof of being a close contact and provide your details. These tests will still remain available for purchase, but hopefully this provides the opportunity for those who cannot afford the ridiculous price per test to be able to access something far more timely and convenient. Although the Libs are having a rightfully joyous time bragging about the fact that they pushed for these rapid tests to be used months ago, and the government called it a stunt, which they did do, 
Victoria offering them for free is a good move if it speeds up the process of no longer locking up people who are not sick. The sickness aspect is worth mentioning as in amongst all of this happening around Christmas, we started getting the first international media statements from South Africa and the UK that they believed this variant was significantly milder based on hospitalisation data. This has only been compounded over the week as literally no data to the contrary comes into existence. This culminated in South Africa slashing their COVID restrictions with contact tracing stopped in virtually all circumstances, no quarantine for close contacts and testing being limited unless someone is symptomatic. You can only hope this heralds the beginning of sanity returning to some sections of the globe. Ideally, Austria as part of that. They're f***ing cooked. Seems Victoria might be a way off that though, with Foley dropping the line this week that boosters will be needed to flatten the curve of cases. It's unclear what data exists to even support this theory, but that has never stopped this government spouting whatever they want and the press pack just printing it. As we head into the new year, though, the government can't seem to decide if they're boosters or a third dose. We saw the dose interval change last week, with booster eligibility as being five months from your second dose, but only until January, when it will then become four months to being eligible, which makes literally no f***ing sense. And once again, nobody has addressed this. It's interesting to note that four months means that realistically by winter 2022, some people may be on dose four already. And they're going to have a real hard time trying to work out what the definition of vaccinated is going to be. Although federal have already said no to one attempt to change this to three doses, it remains to be seen what happens next year. What never seems to get brought up is what happens to tourism if you make three the requirement here when half the world are barely doing boosters. What the hell happens then? Might be too much to ask that in 2022, common sense comes into some of these discussions. The biggest news of the last week, of course, came on Christmas Eve, in proper Nightmare Before Christmas style, when the government finally dropped the human rights assessments and health advice for the new pandemic orders on the public. This consisted of three main documents. The CHO advice to the health minister, the human rights statement and the statement of reasons with an extra written record of the meeting between the CHO and the Health Minister on the 14th of December where the Minister sought advice. In total, this ended up being well over 100 pages of micro-cross-referencing and contradictory documents. For the sake of expediency, this is a brief summary of some of the main points, with a full summary coming in the new year. This is intentional given the holiday period when many rightfully need a mental break, means there's also not as much attention on this. As we come into the new year and the date of the 12th of January approaches where these need to be renewed, it will be important to draw attention to some of the serious flaws that have been presented. The documented meeting between Sutton and Foley is a bizarre and fascinating insight into a discussion where the health minister asked repeatedly if the vaccine worker mandates could now be removed and if there were less restrictive measures available. The majority of this meeting transcript is just Foley re-asking this question. In a particularly interesting sentence, he cites, and I quote, the potential effect that a mandate might have on the social license and its effect on goodwill and compliance. Now, needless to say, the maintenance of this mandate has put goodwill and compliance in the bin, 
and no data has suggested that maintaining it actually led to an uptake in vaccination. It simply served to deepen the divide and distrust. Interestingly, this is a theme throughout the documents, where Sutton puts down the usefulness of rapid tests as vaccines, to quote, once administered, provide continuous protection that doesn't require compliance. Now, the current data that's coming out in case numbers is absolutely shitting on this concept when it comes to managing transmission. The human rights statement could be forgiven as being a joke, whereby much of the document simply goes through the rights that have been violated and says, we know, but we needed to stop transmission. One point that is interesting, and this was picked up by David Limbrick on Twitter as well, was that one of the rights, which is that no one shall be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhumane or degrading treatment or punishment. In particular, no one shall be subjected without his free consent to medical or scientific experimentation. Now, use of the word experiment aside, this right is designed to protect people from being in any way, shape or form coerced into undertaking a medical procedure. Yes, no jab, no job is coercion. Limbrick notes that despite the fact they acknowledge that this right has been impacted, it's meant to be non-derogable, meaning it isn't meant to be legally possible to limit this right. There are some very big questions around this that need to be answered. In one particularly charming f*** that I thoroughly look forward to having brought up next year, is that throughout the human rights statement, the New South Wales court case relating to the vaccine mandates is used as legal justification almost half a dozen times in regards to what the findings of the case were to support the Victorian decisions. The problem is that the findings of the case weren't handed down until October 15th, and the widespread worker vaccine mandates were announced in Victoria on October 1st. So what were the illegal justifications for the original mandates that they've simply used these pandemic orders to extend? Because it sure as hell can't be a court case that didn't have a finding yet. But they have quoted this case in quite literally half a dozen different points as justification. So this definitely needs to be addressed. While these pandemic orders remain in place until January 12th, it's worth noting that should they want to, they can amend these at any time. It's just a process-driven date. For those asking about the Oversight Committee processes, they will become established in February 2022. The government-appointed committee will meet once sittings resume for the year in February and the performative expert review panel that has no power to actually do anything other than provide comment will likely be finalised in February as well. One little clause they put into the pandemic bill was that this oversight committee of experts need only be established within 30 days of an extension of the pandemic declaration, meaning it can be declared, then extended, And it's only 30 days from the extension date that the deadline for this committee existing comes into play, which lined up perfectly with the Parliament sitting schedule being suspended over the Christmas period. These panels can review all the orders that were made, even retrospectively, and it'll be very interesting to see what comes of this next year, given how many contradictory holes are provided in this sea of documents. For over 100 pages, there is a remarkable amount of repetition and waffle. In Adam Updates, we saw him end the year by announcing in 2022 he will drain the swamp in Victoria. A phrase commonly associated with a certain conspiracy theory group. 
Adam refutes using the term drain the billabong instead because it, and I quote, doesn't evoke images of disease and pests like a swamp does. The metaphor must capture a sense of decay, disease and corruption and how to fix it. With that, he signed off for the next few weeks saying he felt liberated from the shackles of party discipline and is enjoying tweeting his unsanitised thoughts and closed off the year basically calling Dan mentally unfit to lead. Needless to say, his 2022 tweets and that book will likely feature heavily on this podcast. Adam, if you hear this, I want to pre-order. As we end this week, we also end this year. Thank f- And it's worth reflecting on some of Victoria's achievements. We officially became the world's most lockdown city and racked up a total of more than 260 days in lockdown since March and came out of this with one of the harshest vaccine mandates seen in the world and one of the most fractured public and government relationships. For what it's worth, all those wild January lockdown rumours, which have now spread to list almost every date in the month as to when it'll supposedly be announced, all I'll say is that it won't happen and if they were going to do anything, they'll reimpose restrictions on businesses and density limits, just like New South Wales did, because nobody has original ideas. Unfortunately. For as long as we have bedwetters like Sutton running the show, this state won't be able to recover with any kind of confidence. But it will be very interesting to see how throwing a few elections in amongst all this affects the policy decisions being made. So for now, that's it for 2021. A big thank you to everyone who has supported Voice this year to become what it is now, something that wasn't even imagined a year ago. Happy New Year and bring on 2022. (laughs) 